This morning, we come to the end of our mini-series in Revelation chapters 1 through 3. And we also uh, come to the end of what, uh, for me and for some of you, has been an eight-and-a-half-year uh, Sunday morning experience of uh, trying to work through the Word of God. And this is what our foundation has been. Uh, I've tried to build... Our services, we've tried to build uh, everything we've done as a church on the foundation of the Word of God as our, as our authority, as uh, something which is transcendent, the final arbiter of all things. And so again and again and again, we've gone to the text to try to see what God has for us to hear. So we'll do that again this morning. Uh, and, and for your lives, not for the last time, I trust, uh, as you will go to the Word of God yourselves over and over again, as the church will continue to have uh, a biblical uh, preaching ministry week after week, uh, we look to the Word of God and His Spirit, and not to any one human being to be our teacher. It's God's Spirit and God's Spirit alone who can open our hearts and minds to respond to His Word. It is an enormous privilege to teach the Word of God and to proclaim its truth and to have a small part to play in what God is doing in a church. And it's been my great honor uh, for this time uh, to be able to uh, routinely open up uh, God's holy word. But it is His word. 
and I have made mistakes and I have erred in understanding and interpretation and in attitude and things I have said and done. And yet there is a power in the word of God that uh, goes beyond the weaknesses of his servants. So without uh, directing uh, attention to uh, human beings, we direct our attention to God and note that what we are about to read is the very word of God. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and the salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, you have breathed out this word. Uh, it is here, uh, the written word of your son, as he speaks and dictates this letter. We are told at the end that those who have ears are to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May we be amongst that group. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Speak to us corporately, speak to us individually, and allow us to respond by your Spirit and by your grace. I pray that your blessing will rush upon us this morning. I pray that your blessing and your Spirit through Jesus Christ and his love will rest upon this church body that you'll strengthen them, make them holy. I pray that you will bring them someone who is uh, holier and godlier, more like you, in, more in love with your son, more like your son, uh, more skilled in every way, more understanding of your word. Lord, I pray that you will bring uh, this church a pastor who uh, excels me in every category for the good of your people, uh, for the salvation of souls, for the truth of your word and for the glory of your name. Be with us, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you might uh, think, if it was not for the fact we've been working through this whole section of Revelation, you might, you might think that perhaps this particular letter was uh, chosen out of malice or spite uh, for my last message to the church. Uh, this is not a positive one, this letter to the church in Laodicea. And, and some pastors, frankly, when they do go, they've, they've had uh, either a grudge or they've had a bad experience. Some, some guys do go out sort of uh, guns blazing, and uh, some guys even name names. Uh, don't, don't worry, I, I won't do that. Um, 
and you know, they, they kind of tell the church what the church needs to do and all the problems to fix and all of the rest. I, I, I have no inclination or desire to do that whatsoever. Other people go out and they go out um, with fawning flattery, um, uh, with all kinds of verbiage and platitudes and cliches, and you deserve better than that as well. So this morning, I want us to think about our church, but through the lens of this letter to this church, because this letter to the church in Laodicea, like all of the other six letters, is written to a specific church, but to all of the churches. And so there are lessons for us to learn from here, from this, from this word, just like there is any other part of the word of God. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Now, there are a few things about Laodicea as a city that are going to be important. They're kind of embedded in this letter, actually. Laodicea as a city was extraordinarily rich. Um, they were so rich, actually, there was a, at one point in history, there was a major earthquake that damaged the city. And Rome was going to send them financial aid. And Laodicea was so rich that they basically said, you know what, appreciate it, but you keep your money. You know, we'll just take care of ourselves. You don't need to give us that kind of financial aid. So they were very, very rich. Uh, they had a famous medical school uh, in their city. And they were actually known, they were renowned for having a particular uh, powder that they would put on eyes to help cure uh, visual and uh, eye ailments. So that will become important uh, in a little bit. The, the biggest weakness, the, the biggest drawback to this city was their water supply. Now they had a significant lack of water. And so what they had to do was they had to construct stone pipes that brought water in from about 10 kilometers away. So their water was not fresh. It was very poor quality when they got it. They were also surrounded by two places. Hierapolis, which is known for its hot springs. Sort of, you know, you go there for, uh, to soak in a hot spring. Uh, you know, there are various places like Iceland has those. Uh, one day it'd be nice to visit there, um, you know, for a soak and a hot spring. Uh, Colossi, where we get the letter to the Colossians later, you know, it was 10 miles to the east, and it was known for its cold and refreshing springs. So it'd be quite the adventure, you know, going from one place to the other, you know, going up to have your, your soak in the hot spring, and then, then traveling down and, and drinking. It's been a long journey between the two, but, you know, maybe over a day or two, you know, we'd have that experience, those two different experiences, soaking in the hot spring, enjoying, luxuriating in the water, and then having a cold, refreshing drink from a clear, flowing spring. Laodicea had neither one of those two options. Laodicea had poor water. That was the biggest drawback of the city. That will become important in just a moment in terms of interpretation of a verse. Well, who's speaking? This is the one who is the amen, the faithful, and the true witness. Jesus is speaking. He is the epitome of the real witness. He is the one who is true and faithful in all things. Now, we'll find out later to see it as a church isn't exactly faithful. So they're being reminded, look, 
Christ himself is the faithful and true witness. He is the so be it. He is the uh, let it be, the amen, the I agree. He agrees with God in all things. He agrees with the truth. Everything he is, is genuine and legitimate, reliable and trustworthy and true and honorable. He is the ruler of God's creation. He's the arche of God's creation. It speaks of preeminence. He rules. He is the source of it. He generates it. He sustains it. He has, by his will, created the world. And he sustains it by his will. He sustains your life even now as you listen to these words. He sustains you and holds you together by the sheer power of his will. He is your creator and he is your sovereign ruler. Your source, your origin is in him and your life is in his hands. When God speaks, a universe comes into existence. When God speaks, the dead are alive. Think about Jesus. Lazarus come forth and the dead man comes out of the tomb. Jesus says, Peace, be still, and the storm stops and the sea is calm. Jesus says, come out of him, and the demon comes out. Jesus says, pick up your mat and walk, and the man picks up his mat and walks. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, and your sins are forgiven. He says his sheep know his voice. They listen to him and follow him, but they'll never follow a stranger. When Jesus speaks, he speaks with power and authority and clarity, and these are his words. The words, remember, his word is a sharp, double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Revelation has already said that, that given us that image. And so here is Jesus, the one who, when he speaks, worlds are formed, the dead live, the demons flee, health is restored, life is restored. And Jesus speaks now to his church, to his people. And everything he says is faithful and true because he is the amen. I know your deeds. He says that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. Now, I, I've heard this cast lots of times in terms of polarization. That is, Jesus wishes you were either you either loved him or you were or you hated him. You know, he doesn't like this apathy. And, and I would argue that Jesus hates apathy, absolutely. But I don't think Jesus wishes you either loved him or hated him. I don't think Jesus wishes you hated him at all. So I, I, the contrast isn't then between love and hatred. I wish you were either loving me or hating me, but you're just apathetic. It, it's probably more in reference, actually, to that historical situation that we know about in terms of water source. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth, he says. The idea is, you know, the, the hot water has its purpose. The cold, refreshing water has its purpose. You're just gross and lukewarm. You know, you're, you're, you're sort of tinged with minerals. You're, you're, you're nauseating. You're sort of a sulfur quality to this imported water that flows through stone for 10 kilometers. And you're surrounded by the hot springs and the cool water, you know, 10 kilometers away, either direction. And this is you. Your, your water source is putrid. It, it, it's nauseating. It's contaminated. It's gross. He says, oh, yeah, yeah, get that in your mouth. You just want to spew it out. 
There's a, there's a, there's a powerful image there. And, and Jesus is talking of his church. The church in Laodicea is a real church, but he, but, but just like Ephesus was in danger of having its lampstand removed and ceasing to be a church, here the Laodiceans are in danger of actually being just, just rejected by Jesus. They're just, just cast out. I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, he doesn't say, I will for sure. He says, I'm about to. That is implied there. Is there still time to repent? The, the end of this letter is, is one of our most famous calls, one of our most famous pictures in the Bible for repentance and having fellowship with Jesus. But what makes that, that picture of him having fellowship, offering fellowship with us so sweet, is, is how nauseating our company is in the first place. He doesn't want to eat with us because we have great table manners. No, he, he wants to come in and have real fellowship. He wants to love us. He wants to love the Laodiceans. In fact, you'll find it, we, he does love the Laodiceans. But right now, they're, they're, they're neither hot nor cold. They're, they're good for nothing. They have to be spewed out. Now, how does this get cashed out a little bit? He says, you say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. I am rich. I have acquired. I don't need. It's all very self-centered. They're rich and proud. You know, they, they have lots of money. They're, they're a very rich city. The, the citizens are very affluent. High standard of living. They take pride in that. But what they don't realize, he says, you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Remember earlier, one of the letters to the churches, Jesus says, you know, I know your extreme poverty, yet you are rich. Here he could say, I know your extreme wealth, yet you are poor. The metric for wealth and poverty is not merely material. There are people who are poor materially, who are rich spiritually. There are people who are, who are uh, you know, rich materially, who are poor spiritually. There are people who are poor in both, people who are rich in both. But he says, when it really matters, when, when I look at you, and remember this is the one who is, Jesus is also the one we know who has eyes like blazing fire. He says, when I look at you, I see right through your wealth, I see how poor you are. I, I see right through your clothing, I see how naked you are. Nothing but later to see it, actually, is that they were, they had, they had textile uh, manufacturing. So, so they were known for clothes. They, they had lots of fashion. You are naked. You need you need clothing. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve to put on your eyes so you can see. That is, you need to buy gold that will truly make you rich. Remember in Isaiah 55, God calls people, come, why are you spending your money on things that don't satisfy? Come, buy bread and wine and milk from me. Buy water from me. I'll give it to you without cost. There's an irony there. Buy without cost. It's the same sort of thing here. Buy for me real gold refined. Buy for me white clothes to cover your nakedness. Get for me salve to put on your eyes so you can see.
Remember, they, they were rich. They had textiles. They had a medicinal school, school, which specialized in medicine for the eye. And so Jesus says here, you need real riches. You need real clothes. You need medicine so you can see. You, know, you, you need to take that most special medicine and you need to touch your eyes. You, you need love to touch your eyes with medicine that only love can give. And the amazing thing here is he says, you know, when I'm going to give you real gold, pure gold, I'm going to dress you in fine clothing, and I'm going to give you medicine that doesn't only touch your eyes, I'm going to give you medicine that touches your soul. So you can see, because these are metaphors. The, the pure gold is not material gold. They have enough of that. The, the pure gold is, is the longing for that, which is so pure and right and good and beautiful, and lovely. The white clothes are honor and righteousness. The salve for the eyes is actually salve. It's medicine, metaphorically applied to the eye that touches the soul. And then you can see when that special medicine is placed on your eyes, you can see. And what you see is how wonderful love is. You see how wonderful your healer is. You see how much you need grace and love and compassion and mercy and healing, and you find that Jesus heals. Jesus cares. Jesus restores. In fact, you find Jesus loves Verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Now, the rebuking and discipline, that's not what we want. But with children, you know, you, you, you discipline them as they grow. Hebrews talks about this. And so with, with God, it's the same. He disciplines his children. It's an act of love to try to help them grow. Now, notice, remember he, last week we saw that he, he loves the church in Philadelphia. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Philadelphia, nothing bad is said about them. Everything about Philadelphia is, is encouraging. And, and they are loved by Jesus. Here, everything is bad. You'll notice actually in this, in this letter so far, nothing good has been said. Literally nothing good has been said about this church. Not one word. But Jesus loves them too. Those whom I love. Talking to this church where there's nothing good to say. I mean, even the first church, Ephesus, they had a lot of good things to say about them. Here, there's nothing. It just goes right into the rebuke. Nonetheless, nonetheless, Jesus loves them. I love and rebuke, sorry, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. The love and mercy of Jesus is to drive you to himself, not away from himself. So he rebukes you so you will repent and come to him. Turn from your sin 
and come to him. And he's not hard to find. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now, we often use this as an evangelistic verse. Jesus knocks on the door of your heart. You know, let him in so he can be your savior, you know, that kind of thing. And there's some utility there. But, but here the images of Jesus speaking inside of the church to those who, who, whom he loves, who he's about to discipline. And, and so this actually, this, this Jesus knocking on the door is not Jesus knocking on the door of the heart of the unbeliever. It's Jesus knocking on the door of his own church. He's outside of his own church here. I mean, this is a metaphor. It's an image, obviously. But it's like he's outside of the church. He's knocking on the door. Who wants to have fellowship with me? Let me come in. Here I am. You know, seek me. See, find me. But you don't need to look far. I've come to seek you. I've come to seek and save what was lost. If you hear my voice, just open the door. I will come in and eat with you, and you will eat with me. Here's a church where there's nothing good to say about it, but Jesus is still willing to come in and have fellowship with them. Jesus is still willing to, to give them time to repent because he loves them. He is faithful and true. He will give them the chance to know him. He, will, he offers himself for fellowship with them. This is a picture of clear and intimate fellowship. You might, you might think of, special times and special meals you have shared. There's something about, in, in this culture, you know, fellowship, uh, table fellowship meant a lot more than it means today, but even nonetheless, uh, sorry, today in our Western culture. But even then you, you may think of, you know, special meals um, shared or prepared for you, brunches or, or dinners, uh, snacks that are meaningful for you in some way that 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 bring with them uh, connotations of memories and and other times, drinks. You know, food is often associated uh, with with certain pleasurable memories and fun and meaning and all of the rest. So when Jesus says, "I'll eat with you," he's he's saying, oh, "I I will share special intimate times with you. Our, our love will grow. Our our appreciation will grow." To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Chapter 4 and 5 will, will sort of present an extended vision of the throne room of, of God in heaven. It, it's amazing that we will reign with Jesus. And to him who is victorious, we will reign with him. Just as Jesus sat down with his father on his throne, we will be invited into their reign and rule. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It ends that way every time. These seven letters, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, what about, what about Crestwick? Frankly, as you read through these seven letters, as you read through the rest of Scripture, you, you can begin to see probably areas where these various teachings apply. Some good, some challenging. The, the reality is you don't need me to point out areas where the church can grow 
You don't need me to point out areas where the church is strong. You don't need me to point out areas where the church is weak. You, you likely know them as, better, as well as I do, if not better. You might have clearer vision in certain areas. I mean, certainly one of the things that uh, will be a, a, a quite, quite advantageous for the church is, is to bring in a, a new lead pastor and improve that role. So there are always strengths and weaknesses. No matter what. We need to build the church on the basis of the Word of God, listening to what the Spirit says to the churches and on Jesus. He is the Arche. He is the ruler. He is the first and last. He is the faithful and true witness. He is the Amen of God. So we don't look to people, we look to Jesus. Jesus is the only Lord of the church. And Jesus Christ, the creator and ruler of heaven and earth, knocks on the door and asks to seek an audience with you in intimate table fellowship so you can know him better and you can experience his love. Whether it's a church like Philadelphia where there is nothing that is said that is there, there's no rebuke at all, or a church like Laodicea where there's nothing uh, that's said in terms of commendation, Jesus loves the same. He says to both churches that he loves them. With both churches, he is willing to acknowledge them and be with them. And that's the hope for as long as the Lord by his grace sustains this church. Not the cleverness of people, not the goodness and faithfulness of people, but the awesome sovereign power and love and holiness of Jesus. That's the hope for Crestwick Baptist Church. There is no other hope at all than the great love of God expressed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want to know if Jesus really, truly loves you, he... He will have fellowship with you, but the great proof of his love is his death on your behalf. He, the, the great sovereign creator, willing to become a human being, joining full humanity to full deity, fully God and fully man, living a perfect life and offering up his life as an atoning sacrifice to, to wipe our sins clean, to, to remove our sins from us, to wash us and make us pure, to cover over uh, and to deal with our sin and shame and nakedness. We who are pitiful, wretched, poor, blind and naked, we can see. We can be clothed in his righteousness. We can be rich with gold of the purest kind. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms is ours in Christ Jesus. If you're victorious, you'll sit with him on his throne. He is our God. He is our Lord. He is the King of Kings. Well, may God help us. May God help us to be faithful through all the changes and circumstances of life. It has been... Uh,
It's been an enormous, enormous honor for me to be here with you for all these years. To have this time and the opportunity to open the Word of God. And thank you for your love and your encouragement and your support. And, and you know, we all know that this is... These, these last six months, whoever could have known, whoever could have imagined that we wouldn't have any surfaces during this time. Remember, when the decision was made not to have a service on March 15th, there, there was some vague rumor that maybe we wouldn't even be able to have a service until Easter. And, and we, we all thought that was impossible. Can you imagine not having a service for four weeks? And six months later... I'd like to be able to see you. But the word is the same and the spirit is the same. You have a really, really godly, gifted young man who is going to be opening up the word to you and you will be patient and you will be gracious and you will pray for him and you will be good to him. It's one of the that'd be one of the most meaningful things you could do for me personally as I leave. Take care of Jake. Love him and help him grow. Be a safe place for him. Let him learn. Let him learn what it's like to teach and proclaim the Word of God to people who are hungry to hear it, not at all interested in being critical, but who are hungry and humble to hear the Word and to grow. As you listen to Him, as He is faithful to the Word, you will not be listening to Him. You'll be listening to the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation, and you will be listening to the Spirit of God. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You are loved forever. Go in grace and peace. Tree that bore.
记。